Or earlier this week, one of my pastor friends texted me and said, hey, and this is sort of a normal question that pastors ask each other, what are you preaching on this Sunday? And I said, well, we're in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm preaching the passage that talks about wives submitting to their husbands. And I said, do you have any advice? And he replied and said, yes, skip it. <laughs> um, this, is the, this is the text that I was mentioning, verse 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. The, this is a challenging, somewhat controversial passage nowadays. Uh, this text teaches us that there is a divinely given order in Christian marriage, and it uses the word submit. And it's challenging really for four reasons. I want to share those four reasons why I think this passage is challenging. Number one, it's challenging because any talk about submission today is seen as archaic, uh, countercultural, and even dangerous. And it might make us think of words like uh, oppression, subjugation, or dominance. And so there's a lot of baggage with the word submit. Another reason why there is a challenge with this passage is that throughout history and even today, this text has been misused and abused. Uh, one of the commentaries that I was studying this week said this, that God's holy word in the hands of a religious fool can do immense harm. And this verse, although it's God's word, has been in the hands of immense fools at times, and it's done, or religious fools, and it's done immense harm. Um, throughout, throughout history and even around the world, some, some husbands will use this as an excuse to be a lazy man, a, a sort of useless man, and boss his wife around saying, well, you know, this is what the scripture says, so you do what I say, to be unfaithful while demanding loyalty from them, to, to exercise out of insecurity and, con, and a controlling spirit, to justify mistreatment of all kinds. But just because someone has misunderstood, misused, and misapplied a truth doesn't mean that we can just dismiss the truth. It means we need to do the hard work of, of, of learning more about this truth. Another reason why this passage is so challenging is because we don't understand the historical context. And Paul's writing this thousands of years ago, and John MacArthur, in, MacArthur, in his study on this passage, he gives us some insight into what uh, life was like for a woman in first century Rome. He says in the Jewish world, because you had, so you had the Jewish people living in the Greek culture, but under the rule of Rome. So you had three cultures colliding at the same time. And in the Jewish world in the first century, women were little more than servants. Many Jewish men prayed each morning, God, I thank you, I'm not a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. The provision for divorce and remarriage that was given by Moses in Deuteronomy 24 had been distorted over time by religious leaders to include virtually any offense or disfavor in the eyes of the husband. If he didn't like how dinner was prepared, he could divorce his wife. In Greek society, the woman's situation was even worse. Because concubines were common, concubines were not wives, but women that were kept around for pleasure, a wife's role was simply to bear legitimate children and to keep the house. Demosthenes, a Greek statesman and an orator of ancient Athens, wrote this. He said, we have courtesans for sake of pleasure, we have concubines for the sake of daily cohabitation, and we have wives for the purpose of having children legitimately and being faithful guardians for our household affairs. And so the wives were not held with great regard in Greek culture. In Roman society, things were even worse. Marriage was little more than legalized prostitution. Divorce was such an easy legal formality that it could be taken advantage of as often as desired. Romantic love and personal fulfillment that is so highly valued in our culture today when we talk about marriage was not a normal part of marriage back then, especially for the woman. 
And so when we study the historical context of when Paul is writing this passage, it is clear that women were treated terribly and men were using their social privilege for their own advantage. And the Romans were actually worried about the spread of religions like Christianity because they thought that they would come in and undermine these Roman traditional family values, specifically the dominant role of the man. And so many minority religions that were trying to gain a foothold in Rome, instead of stirring the pot, they would just say, yeah, whatever Rome says about marriage, whatever Rome says about the relationship between a man and a woman, a husband and a wife, that goes. They wouldn't push back on it, but not Paul. Paul undermines the basic premise of the Roman code we're going to see this morning. It's the unquestioned absolute authority of the male. In this passage, Paul presents a radically progressive ethic, a different ethic, a better one. We also don't read, the other reason why we have such a challenge with this passage is we don't understand the textual context, what's happening here. We don't read before this verse or after this verse. So before this verse, verse 22, wives submit to your husband as to the Lord. Before, verse 21, Paul says, and further, this is on the heels of the passage we studied last week about be filled with the Spirit, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now this is tremendously radical what Paul does here. This call to, a, to all members of a group to submit to one another regardless of class and gender was unheard of. Nobody at any point would say to a group of mixed people of different genders, ethnicities, and classes, submit to one another. It would be specifically, you submit to this person. You so what Paul does here is radical. Paul says, all of you now in this new family of God, you're all called to submit in love to one another, to consider each other, and to care for each other, regardless of gender and, and class and ethnicity. Paul does that, and then he goes on. So this is the main point that Paul is making. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Then he proceeds to give us three illustrations of what he's talking about. The first one is about wives and husbands. The second one in the beginning of chapter 6 is about children and parents. And he goes on to talk about servants and masters. And so his words here to the wives and to the husbands is not even the main point of his argument. It's an illustration of the main point of his argument, which is, as a new people, we should submit to one another. What this means, by the way, is whether you're here this morning and married or not, this text is relevant to all of us because it's illustrating a command that applies to all believers that we should submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But not only do we not read well before this verse, we don't read well after this verse, and we're going to get to it. But what Paul says to wives in this passage, although it sounds maybe startling in our world today, what Paul says to the wives here is not the shocker. What Paul says to the husbands is the real shocker in this time when it was written. So let's look at the whole passage together, beginning in verse 22. We're in Ephesians chapter 5. I'm reading, you, reading to you from the NLT. He says, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. And we're going to talk about this phrase and everything later. For husbands, now he turns to the husbands. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life up for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church, without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. 
In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery. And those of you that are married, you know, it's, it's a mystery at times. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Okay, so here's how we're going to approach this passage this morning. I, I actually think it's easier and hopefully helpful for me to explain what Paul is not saying here, okay? And as we're unpacking it that way, hopefully you'll also pick up what he is saying. And then we're going to end by really focusing on some of the words to the husbands. So what is the first thing that Paul is not saying? What does this passage not mean? And the first thing is this, that all women submit to all men. Here he says wives are, are commanded to submit to their husbands, but it specifically says in the Greek, your own husband. There's a Greek word there, idios, which specifically is talking about the nature of a relationship between one husband and one wife. And it indicates that Paul is not addressing wives generally. A wife, listen, maybe this is obvious to you, but it needs to be said, a wife is not expected to submit to everyone's husband, but to her own, and all women are not expected to submit to all men. That's not what Paul is saying here at all. This instruction is only for those who love Christ, are filled with his spirit, and have chosen to enter with each other into this spiritual covenant that marriage is. I know uh, marriage has lost some of its significance and some of its definition in our world today, but marriage is a permanent and exclusive commitment that two people make to each other publicly saying, I choose you forever for good, for better, for worse. In all situations, I'm committed to you. And so Paul is saying here, and also remember, this is all on the heels of Paul talking about people who are filled with the Spirit. And so Paul is saying, if you are both filled with the Spirit, followers of Christ, then wives, submit to your husbands. Okay, so this is a very specific command. It's not general, it's not generic. Number two, what does it not mean? That husbands are greater than wives or that men are greater than women. There is nothing about what Paul says here that suggests spiritual inequality. Both sexes are equal. Both bear the image of God and are equal in their standing and in their spiritual gifts for service. The New Testament scripture supports this. Galatians 3.28 where Paul says, There is neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. This code, this household code that Paul is presenting in Ephesians presents men and women in an ordered equality. There is no superiority. There is no inferiority. There are simply differing roles. So it's equality of worth and dignity and value, but not equality of role, that there are distinct roles, although equal worth. The example that we have from Christ is that although Christ was equal to status with the Father, he willingly submit himself to the Father's will. So Jesus' decision to submit himself to the Father's will did not reduce his value and worth as God. He still was God. But he chose to 
take a role of submission to accomplish the will of the Father. And that's why we keep getting so much reference to Jesus Christ in this passage is because Paul sees Jesus, his, his submission to the Father, as a beautiful uh, illustration or example of the way in which this marriage truth is to be lived out. In the same way, women are equal in value and worth to men because they are both created in God's image. This submission that Paul's talking about is in deference to the ultimate leadership of the husband for the health and harmonious working of the marriage relationship. So based on God's design, men and women assume different roles in the marriage relationship. But this is not saying in any way that the husband is greater than the wife or that the man is greater than the woman. And most of us have learned that is obviously so much evidence that this is not true anyway. But this is not what Paul is saying. There's so many biblical examples of women in leadership. At Trinity, we believe in women in leadership. We believe in women pastors. We believe in half our staff, or over half our staff, including our pastor emeritus, are women. We believe that God gives every gift equally to men and to women. And so we want to empower women to lead and to serve in any way. And it's because we see it in Scripture from the Old Testament, the Judge Deborah, to the followers of Jesus, where it was the women of Jesus who often were with him and stuck with him and followed him and financially supported him, to women that, that uh, Paul encountered as he traveled, a woman named Tabitha, who was a tremendous influence in her community for the gospel. The opening verses of Romans 16, where Paul Paul writes about a woman named Phoebe who was a deacon in the church and possibly in a position of eldership in the local church. So even though it was wildly countercultural at this time in Rome and in Greek culture and even in the Jewish religion, wildly countercultural for women to be in leadership, the Christian faith recognized and honored the gifts of women. It was tremendously progressive. The third reason, the third thing that this does not mean is that husbands can demand submission. When Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, the, word, the verb submit is actually not in the imperative form. So it's a little bit of a misnomer to call this a command. It's in the middle voice of the verb. And, and when the middle voice of a verb is used, it's emphasizing the voluntary nature of that verb. So it's the voluntary nature of submission. In other words, Paul says that a wife should submit willingly to her husband, but nowhere does he say that husbands can demand submission from their wives. And we'll see in a minute, it's because they shouldn't need to. <laughs> if they're doing their part that we're going to get to, then they shouldn't need to come in and demand submission. Wifely submission does not mean slavish obedience. And I know we came across that passage in here that we read where it says to submit in everything. And so I was studying that passage, and the commentary said, we must take into account the fact that the example of Christ, that verse starts by giving Christ as the example and then ends with the phrase, so wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And by making Christ the example, that phrase, in everything, carries this weight of being consistent with the character of Jesus. So when Paul says submit in everything, he's saying in everything that is consistent with the character of Jesus. A woman must never follow her husband into sin because of these verses. Christ alone is her supreme authority, and the Holy Spirit was given to her just like the Holy Spirit is given to her husband to enlighten her conscience as to what is right and wrong. So that phrase, in everything, it does not mean that the husband can demand submission or that there is, this is about slavish obedience. 
It cannot mean absolutely everything because we know that elsewhere Paul makes allowances even for divorce in some situations where there are things like adultery and abuse and abandonment. And so in these sort of situations, Paul makes allowances. So he's not saying submit regardless of what is being asked of you. That phrase in everything, when you read that, that means inconsistent with the character of Christ. And so submission means we see the natural roles in marriage as defined by God and we trust, and we had to talk about this a lot last week, we talked about using our words, our money, and our bodies, right, in very specific ways. These are some hard passages we're going through right now because Paul has front-loaded Ephesians with here's what Christian doctrine is, and now he's moving into what Christian duty is, what our response is. We can't get them separated. You'll never be able to process Ephesians 5 if you don't understand Ephesians 1 through 4, okay? The gospel changes our hearts, and then our behaviors follow, Right? And that's where we're at in the passage right now. And that's why this text on its own feels a little hard and a little direct. But this is where Paul is at. This is, we are learning to trust that God has a design and a plan for the flourishing of our marriages. When it comes to submission, generally speaking, and there's a book that's written about this, the sexes have different needs. And generally speaking, again, forgive me, this is, a, this is a generally, um, but men need to feel respected and women need to feel cherished. Okay? Now, this explains why Paul specifically tells the husbands at the very end, love your wives, cherish your wives. Cherish means, um, cherish means you're on a list all by yourself. No wife wants to be told, you're number one on my list, and here's two through five. <laughs> it's not going to go well, right? The wife wants to be told, you're number one on the list, and there's no, other, there's no, there's no one else on this list. It's just you. To be cherished, to be cared for, right? Men, we want to be respected. It matters that our wives are proud of the work that we do and the things that we accomplish. This is just generally speaking how we, we are wired, how God made it. And I think Paul had that insight. That's why at the very end of this passage, he says his final words are, love your husbands and, and wives, respect your husbands. It's, or Sorry, love your wives and respect your husbands. It's the unique nature of male and female. But listen, of course, God wants both husbands and wives to treat their spouses with love and respect. So it's not like husbands can say, I'm the one in this relationship that needs respect, so I don't need to respect you and your dreams and what you want to do with your life and, and what you've accomplished all day. And wives don't need to say, I'm the one that needs to be cherished and loved, and so you don't need that from me. Right? One of the commentaries I read said it very well. When the Bible says that wives should respect their husbands, it assumes that such respect will be based on love. And when it tells husbands to love their wives, it takes for granted that a disrespectful love isn't love at all. So it's both, but yet in this role of submission, there's the love and the respect. Now, uh, you know, what might this look like, this idea of, 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 of uh, submitting in the relationship in these roles? And a couple of things I thought of for wives is just one thing would be encouraging your husband. If your husband's a believer, filled with the Spirit, and you are as well, encouraging your husband in his gifts, his spiritual gifts. Recognizing the gifts that God has given him and encouraging him to use those gifts and even leaving space for him to operate in those gifts and to lead. Even when you can see, listen, it's true, our wives see it before we do most of the time. Even though you know what should be done and where to go and you can really turn the neck of your husband, even though you have that, there's going to be times where because of this passage, you're going to just take a step back and say, I, 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 I trust your leadership. I, I believe that you hear from the Lord. I want you to lead. 
Okay, so it's, it's empowering and encouraging the spiritual leadership of your husband. And then in those moments when there is leadership, celebrating the gift of that leadership and, and honoring that, giving your husband even space to initiate uh, certain things and conversations, okay? So that's what it might look like. And then the last thing that this passage does not mean is that the wives submit out of natural fear or love for the husband, This is not submission because I love him so much and I want to. This is not submission because I'm afraid of him. That's dangerous. This is submission, Paul says, as to the Lord. So the motivation for wives submitting to their husbands, when a woman voluntarily, remember it's a voluntary submission, when a woman voluntarily submits to her husband, she is doing it as worship to the Lord. And this is out of a love for Jesus and a trust for Jesus. Our first motivation is to submit to Jesus in this, but the second motivation is actually connected to what we want to talk about the rest of our time, which is what Paul says to the husbands. Now, husbands, so far you've had it kind of easy, but here's what I want you to know. Paul devotes three times more space to the husband's responsibility than to the wife's. (laughs) The wives get three verses and the husbands gets nine verses, probably because we are three times as dumb. And so uh, he's, he's wanting to make sure that we get this. Now, what Paul does next is so shocking because based on what we've seen and from other ancient texts, it's unexpected that Paul would urge his husbands to love their wives next instead of instructing them to rule over them. That's what would have been expecting next in even the Jewish religion, to some extent, the Greek culture, and certainly the Roman Empire. After he tells the wives to submit to the husbands, the next thing he would have said to the husbands was, rule over your wives. Domineer them. Lead with a strong hand and show them who's boss. But Paul totally flips the script here, and and he says to love, and he uses the Greek word agape, which is the strongest unconditional love And in all of extra-biblical Jewish literature, husbands were rarely ever exhorted to love their wives, and the verb agape was never used in Greek or Roman household codes in relation to husbands and their responsibilities. But in this passage, in these short nine verses, Paul repeats, not only does he say it, I think he repeats it three times. Husbands, agape your wives. Love them as Christ loved the church. The loving relationship that a husband should have towards his wife is explained in four ways in this passage. And we're going to say this, and then we're going to close. How should the husband love his wife? Number one, unconditionally. That's what the word agape means. Just as Christ. I mean, when Paul said, love your wives as Christ loved the church, that, husbands, if we'll just wrestle with that, how has Christ loved you? Because you're perfect because you're good, because you're great, because you're impressive. Christ doesn't love us because we're worthy. Christ doesn't love us because we deserve it. Christ loved the church when she was not worthy. So also, a husband should love his wife whether or not he thinks she is deserving of his love. And this is a choice that we make to covenant with one another that I will choose to dedicate my life and to belong mutually and exclusively and fully to you in all seasons of life. Listen, it isn't always butterflies in the stomach, is it? It isn't always romance and roses. 
Some days it's just choosing to love. Some days it's just making the decision. And husbands, the, the, the motivation that we will find to love our wives is most purely seen in the way that Christ loves the church. So how do we love our wives? Unconditionally. Secondly, husbands, how do we love our wives? Sacrificially. Just as Christ gave himself up for the church, so we must be willing to serve our wives, sacrificing our own rights and our own interest. Does it sound like someone who's domineering? Does it sound like someone who is domineering a relationship could also live sacrificially for that person? That's how we know that Paul is not talking about a dominating relationship. Because he makes it so clear that you got to lay your, husbands, we have to lay our, our lives down for, and, and I know some of us have a hard enough time just passing the remote over, right? <laughs> just, just, just handing a little thing over. But here we are called to live in this way. Thirdly, we should love our wives purposefully. Just as Christ sanctifies and cleanses and presents his bride as pure, so, now we can't do that for our wives because we're not Jesus, right? You cannot sanctify your wife, can't cleanse her, you can't, you can't save her. But we can seek to lead our wives with the purpose of seeing them know Christ and be conformed into the image of Christ. So even in conflict and even in difficult conversations, we can have the heart to say, how can I lead in this moment in such a way that helps both of us love Jesus more? And become more like Jesus. And then the last thing we see, I'm going to have the band come up and we're going to sing, is that husbands should love their wives affectionately. Just as Christ nourishes and cherishes the church, so also a husband should provide for his wife. He must also seek to communicate and understand his wife so that he may adequately know her needs. And I, I, there's a resource I read. I just want to give credit. I don't remember the name of it, but there's a resource I read that gave me these four things, but I couldn't say it any better than this. So this is how I wanted to present it to you. How does the husband love his wife? Unconditionally, sacrificially, purposefully, and affectionately. And listen, here's the whole point of this passage from Paul. If husbands will love their wives this way, then submission is no chore. Submission is no weight. Submission is no struggle. It's joy. If you're being loved this way, you're not going, you will trust the leadership of this person who unconditionally, sacrificially, purposefully, and affectionately loves you. How do we do this? Well, it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of grace. Husbands, we find in Christ a model for sacrificial, loving, strong, tender headship. Wives, you find in Christ's submission to the Father and in the church's submission to Christ, a model for intelligent, gracious, trusting, respectful submission. See, Jesus Christ, he's the focal point of all of history and he's the reference point for all of our obedience. This teaching makes no sense apart from Jesus. If, if you're listening online this morning, if you're here this morning and you, and you say, I'm not a follower of Jesus and I don't, have, I don't expect any of this to resonate with you, maybe a little bit, but I know that this, is, this doesn't work because of our desires to make it work. This doesn't work because of our willpower. This doesn't work because of guilt. I gotta be better, I should do better. This works because of Jesus Christ, who he is. When we're choosing how to love our spouses, can we see Jesus on the cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do? Are we forgiving like that towards our spouses? Or do we instead use everything against them? Instead of saying, forgive them for they know not what they do, we say, get them because they knew exactly what they did. 
Are we as kind and patient with them as the Father has been with us? Are we grateful for them? And this is what Paul is calling us to, is a radically, that's the mystery of marriage. And the mystery of Christian marriage is found in these verses, that there's a beautiful harmony of roles and relationships where the husband loves the wife as Christ loves the church, and the wife willingly and joyfully says, I will be led. Not, not I will turn my brain off and just go wherever you say, right? Full voice, <laughs> full value. But I'm willing to enter into a role of submission and being led because of the love that I'm finding in you, which resembles the love that is found in Christ. This is what we're called to. And I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand, but we all got lots of room to grow in this area. And my hand is up. We got a lot of room to grow in this area, but there's a lot of grace and there's a lot of opportunity for us to learn to love each other better. Let's pray together this morning.